All right, so that one should be all set and ready to go as well. So I will just start and say on the record that my name is Michelle Marino, and today's date is Tuesday, August 28th. I thought it was the 27th, but it's the 28th. And I am here interviewing Morris Mills. And do you go by Maury? Well, in the legislature, that's the only place I've ever called that. But. Oh, yeah? Okay. So Morris, we'll go with Morris then. And we are at his home in Ladoga, Indiana. And this is a audio interview. So I will start with some easy questions. Uh, when and where were you born? I was born in uh, Decatur Township in Valley Mills in 1927. Okay. So I'll be 91 in another 30 days. <laughs> a, a young, spry 91, right? <laughs> uh, what were your parents' names? Howard and Bernice Mills. Howard S. and Bernice Hadley Mills. Okay. Where's your family from originally? Well, the uh, Mills have been in Decatur Township since it was settled. Oh, really? We still have the homestead farm down there. Wow. And... Uh, uh, the Hadleys were settlers, original settlers in Henry's County, in the little town of Hadley. So, uh, okay, so that's where the name, yeah. the middle name comes from. How did they get to Indiana originally? Well, they came with the Quakers when they came up out of North Carolina. And okay. uh, they both were Quakers, and they came up about the same period of time. Of, uh -huh. Okay, uh, so been here a while then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what were your parents' occupations? Well, Dad was a farmer. Uh, all his life. Mother was a, they both went to Earl College. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, mother taught school for four years before they got married mm -hmm. and uh, then she was a housewife the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. her mother. Mm -hmm. There were five of us kids so that kept us busy. And Sounds like a full-time job to me probably. <laughs> and so you had five, four siblings? Yeah, three, three brothers and a sister. Okay, and where did you fall on that lineup? I'm the oldest. I You're the oldest. First one, yeah. Okay. Uh, what were their names? Well, uh, Howard Jr., uh, Murray, uh, Helen, and Amos. Okay. And uh, they're all still living. And, uh, Murray's, my brother Murray's in pretty bad shape. He's got Parkinson's, mm -hmm. but uh, my sister lost her husband a couple of years ago. She's up in Michigan. Okay. And I went up to teach school and married a guy but I never came home. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it happens sometimes. How would you describe your childhood? Well, of course, we grew up during the, the Depression when there wasn't any money. So, you know, you didn't spend any money. Mm -hmm. I always had plenty to eat. Dad always had a big garden. We always worked hard. We had uh, 20 cows that had to be milked before we went to school. Mm -hmm. But the family's always... Uh, been interested in education. I mean, uh, I was the fourth generation to go to Earlham, so wow. uh, dad and his parents. And so that was a foregone conclusion about where I went to school. Okay. Who were the most influential people when you were growing up? Well, I don't know who the most influential people were. Uh, I was not active in the church and uh, went to school. I suppose my father probably wanted more because I worked with him all the time. And mm -hmm. He was a pretty uh, unusual fellow. He was ended up as uh, a farmer, but he was ended up as uh, presiding clerk of the National Friends Organization. And he was a chairman of the Board of Trustees at Earlham College and the longest serving trustee. So he was quite a, a interesting guy to be around all life. And yeah. 
What understanding, if any, did you have as a, a child about your family's politics or political beliefs? Is well, that something you talked about? Well, a little bit. Dad, uh, uh, my grandfather was a trustee, I guess, and built the first high school outside the city limits of Indianapolis. So they've always been active in community affairs. And Dad, uh, one time ran for the, he was served on the, advisory board, I think, one time, and, uh, and one day he ran for the legislature one time when they ran a large in Barron County and they promised to slate him and then they only did it in two townships, so <laughs> that was the end of that. <laughs> so his, his real interest was over Earlham and with the Quaker activities. Mm -hmm. Well, you've mentioned growing up Quaker a couple of times. Did your family raise you in a religious environment? Did that well, we, we, not, uh, yeah, I, I assume so. We always went to a meeting every Sunday and Sunday school and vacation Bible school and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So. Yeah. Did that influence your child any differently? No, I don't think so. Most of our kids did that time. Mm -hmm. See, only what? There were about 40 in my class in school, I guess, when the big mob and okay. not like now. Well, what schools did you attend then as a child and teenager? What? What schools? Well, I just went to one school. Okay. One <laughs> the old Decatur Central High School. Okay. I started in the, in the North End in the first grade. It took me six years to get to South End when I started. It took me six years to get back. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice orderly movement there, I guess. How would you describe your education experiences growing up? Well, uh, I was a pretty good student, so I didn't have to work very hard. Uh, graduated at the top of the class. Uh, had one or two boys that were, one fellow was a real competitor academically, but he, uh, he decided that Decatur had a very limited offering, and he wanted to be a doctor, so he transferred into tech to go to high school, so my competition uh, disappeared. I, only, I think I graduated a whole point ahead of, three point ahead of anybody else in the class. So. Oh, that's <laughs> And a couple of girls did the same thing, so I didn't have any competition time of that. Yeah. What were your favorite subjects in school? Well, I always liked math, some history. I got through Latin and a little math. I wasn't a real good mathematician, but just general interest in it. I think I've always had an interest in economics from that mm -hmm. point of view. Yeah. Did were you involved in any clubs or did they have any sports or? Well, anything? I tried. I I, I had new. Uh, they, I had a. Uh, they thought I maybe I had a heart murmur. They picked up when I was a freshman in high school. At that time, why the treatment was for to be physically inactive. So for a, a year, I was supposed to go to bed every day after I got home from school. So I didn't get to play athletics. I was. A, Senior, but I was both little and slow, so <laughs> I didn't play a little football my senior year. Mm -hmm. Okay. As a, a child or a young man growing up here, what were your views about the state of Indiana or, or being a Hoosier? Well, I don't think I had much. I mean, didn't anymore. I didn't get much outside my local world. <laughs> uh huh. Well, if I understand the timeline correctly, World War II would have started when you were entering high school, is yeah, that right? Yeah, right, yeah. How did that affect your, your high school or your family life? Well, um, uh, personally, I found we were too young to, 
to to get infected by the draft. Of course, we were affected by uh, old rationing and whatnot. But farmers got extra tickets for gasoline, so we always had gasoline. We could get tickets and tires and gasoline, so it didn't affect us that much. We of course always had plenty of food. But Dad had a had a humongous garden, and uh, so we all worked in the garden. He probably had an acre garden in most of the time. So, but you're you were being the oldest. Your siblings were still too young. That's what you were saying, right? Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, they started working early on. I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. Did anyone in your family have to take, you know, a, a war job or anything like that, no, or was huh, it just no. on the farm? Just on the farm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I had a couple of older cousins that were, uh, they were conscientious objectors, and they uh, did conscientious objector service and. My second, my second boy got caught in the, in the, uh, I elected to go in the service and, uh, well, I, I graduated in 45, in the summer of 45, spring of 45, and uh, I assumed I was going to get drafted to do something in September, and um, I, uh, I hadn't gotten any notice, so I, Dad was a trustee at that time, so I called up. Earl and said, I'm going to be over tomorrow to enroll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, they had Blair room in the dormitory. So I got in a quarter of a year. Uh, they were on Thursday, and then, then I got my notice about halfway. And I, I finally decided after a good deal of debate that war was over, I just joined the Army. Mm -hmm. And uh, it um, evidently, I scored pretty high on the uh, uh, test. For placement, I think in the top one percent or something like that. So mm -hmm. I got sent to the Corps of Engineers and went to Washington and learned to be a topographical surveyor huh. and down at Belvoir, which is about 15 miles out of Washington. Okay. I don't know if you've ever been to Washington or not, but at that time there was no nothing between Fort Belvoir and the city except mm -hmm. Pentagon and. Uh, and I could get a weekend pass to Washington for sale all night for 50 cents and, wow. and uh, uh, oh, what's the, what, I forget what they call those clubs, the USO clubs. And the servicemen's clubs. So I got to yeah. poke around Washington for, uh -huh. I was there for uh, about uh, five and a half months, I guess. Okay, so were you shipped anywhere else after yeah, and then, that? Yeah, then I was shipped to, I, I, then I got, trained, I went to the engineer school and then they gave me to the graduate or program to be a topographical surveyor and uh, I got shipped uh, over to join a little unit outside of Tokyo. Wow. And uh, it was a little camp about, wasn't much different from college, we were all the kids in my, I had four of us in a room and they were all my kind of kids. Uh, mm -hmm. All had been to college one a little bit and bright kids and uh, and it was really a pleasant experience except we had to guard, do guard duty once in a while all night but other than that yeah and we were out walking around through the people and doing some surveying here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, so how long were you there then in Tokyo? Well, I was there from uh, September till I got there I guess first of October. I was over there uh, from September till end of June and. Uh, we did some surveying around the Tachikawa Air Force Base and whatnot, and then they sent us down to uh, 
Kokura, which was on the southern end of the main island. I think we just we took a train down there on went through Hiroshima mm -hmm. about eight months after it was over. What was that like? Well, it was just flat. We had another city um, between us and Tokyo that you could stand on one side. It was a city of a hundred thousand people. You could stand on one. They were very susceptible to firebombing. And you could stand on one side of the city and see across this whole town. Wow. Just a whole thing burned down. Mm -hmm. And the same thing was over for you or she was just wasn't anything left there. Was there any awareness, like was it dangerous to go there no, still with fallout or anything? Were, the people were very, very nice. I, uh, <coughs> Earl had always had a little connection with the Japanese people. And uh, the deed of uh, women or um, uh, my uncle had a, a friend uh, in Tokyo, and he uh, wanted me to look him up. And so one day I was wandering around Tokyo and, uh, and trying to find where he lived, and couldn't find him. There was a Japanese gentleman on the street, and uh, asked him if he saw a Japanese fellow in a Western suit. He could speak a little English, so he uh, uh, said, oh, "Yeah, I'll take you down." So he find well, we couldn't find the house. But he insisted I come home and have lunch with him. And uh, then uh, the last Sunday before I was there, well, the, there was a Japanese lady that uh, uh, had gone to Earlham and was in the same class as my aunt and uncle. And uh, she was real active in the founding of the Japanese YMCA, YWCA. And, uh, and they had a school also, anyway. So they wanted me to look her up. So I did the last Sunday, which was, you know, the dumbest thing that I waited that long. They had a girl about my age and uh, I get in this house and there was a American General's picture on the on the mantel. Uh, he, he'd been a pretty successful businessman. But it turns out that uh, he'd gone to Earlham and we're in the same class to Earlham and they'd kept in contact all these years and he was MacArthur's G4 which is the guy that took care of relations with the Japanese people. And the story goes, and I can't stand for sure, that he consulted with her frequently about what they ought to do with the emperor. Wow. And uh, uh, I guess he, she strongly recommended, she and another Japanese lady of similar status, that Tojo was fair game, they do whatever they want to him, but just not to mess with the emperor. And, uh, so that, I guess that's the case, and then uh, uh, show you how small the world is. Why I got back to Rome and I had a date with the general's daughter one time. <laughs> <laughs> Come now, full circle there. And uh, and the girl came back to Rome uh, uh, while I was at Harvard, and uh, she. Uh, but we missed connections, so I didn't get to see her again. Now, her mm -hmm. mother got sick, so she wasn't there very long. Yeah. At home. That's a fascinating story. Yeah, it was. yeah. But that was just life over there. I mean, it was just you could go anywhere you wanted to. You could mm -hmm. bus rides, and then we got uh, our uh, pay was. Uh, I think I I started over there twenty nine dollars a month, but I got promoted finally getting one hundred and twenty dollars a month. But we got a carton of cigarettes, and uh, the yen was supposed to be ten yen for the dollar, I think, or something like that. And but you could sell those cigarettes for 200 yen, and so 
and the end, my haircut, we had an old Japanese lady that gave you a haircut in the bar in the PX for three yen and <laughs> which would be a third of a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, pretty good exchange rate there. Yeah, pretty you. good exchange rate. <laughs> and so I, you know, life over there was, we really enjoyed it and mm -hmm. catch, catch a train downtown to Tokyo and walk around. Yeah, that's interesting. So when did you come back then? Then I, I got, I decided when I, the Army, they gave us a chance for a, to enlist for uh, 18 months. Or you could take a chance of getting out early. I said, well, that's that's the time would fit to going back to school, so I just took it and uh, did that. Okay, so 18 months then. So when you came back, did you go right to Earlham? Yeah, or? I started with Earlham that early fall, and, and uh, I... Uh, I, I got I had ten credits I guess the first semester and then I decided that uh, I could uh, um, maybe finish in three years so I took I don't know, twenty hours a semester after the first year first year I got uh, first semester at Earlham I got uh, three C's and a B or something like that <laughs> everyone's got one semester like that and uh, but I finally graduated with honors in economics. And uh, I went uh, out of that service in Japan. I got four and a half years of college on the GI Bill. On the GI Bill, and uh, our economics professor got sick at Earlham the last uh, semester, and they went hired a young guy from IU who just graduated from Harvard Business School, and he said, "You're good. Why don't you apply for Harvard?" And I said, "Why not?" <laughs> So I take it that's how you got to Harvard. That's the way I got to Harvard, yeah. Uh -huh. So you finished in three years and then you went straight... Straight to Harvard, yeah. Straight to Harvard. And how long was that Two-year course, yeah. Okay. And that was for an MBA? Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. Okay. Harvard, Harvard Business School, yeah. What was it like being on the East Coast after <laughs> growing up on a farm here? Well, we, uh, you know, uh, the... the uh, I've never been to the East except my uncle, who was a professor at IU when we were, I don't know. He took three of his nephews and his son to New York when we, we were in, uh, before the war started. So that's the only other time I've ever been to the East Coast. We took a, drove a car, you know, stayed in little motels and whatnot. I went to Yankee Stadium to see a basketball game. Uh, but. Uh, I've done some traveling, of course, down in the Army, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, but we had a real, I mean, it was a really great bunch of guys at Harvard, I mean, mm -hmm. some had uh, lots of money, some didn't have any, and mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't the best student there, I mean, I didn't graduate with honors, but I... I think a degree from Harvard stands <laughs> for itself. <laughs> it, uh, I wasn't a bigger scholar, but it... Uh, I got along all right, and mm -hmm. I just, I, I, we had a, my two uncles had started a milk processing plant in Indianapolis, mm -hmm. and so I decided I was going to come home to do that, so I didn't do a part of interviewing out of Harvard for a job, and came straight home, I don't even, it's one of the bridges that you might have tried to do something else with, mm -hmm. I didn't. So did you major in business or econ at Earlham? I majored in econ. Okay. I took a couple of, I took a bookkeeping course in high school, and then I, uh, Earlham didn't teach accounting, but IU had a 
were starting an extension over there, and they they had a guy who came over and taught two years of, a year of accounting or regular accounting, cost accounting, and I'd taken that, which was a <coughs> great help when I got to Harvard because uh, they, most of the kids there hadn't had any college, any accounting, and mm -hmm. had a course called through called control, and you're supposed to learn how accounting worked the first three weeks, and then what do you do with it the rest of the time? Right. <laughs> In what ways did your awareness of, of politics evolve as you matured, or even as you were in the war? Uh, well, as I grew up as a kid, of, uh, uh, we were Quakers, and, and uh, my uncle, one uncle had introduced her, uh, Hoover, uh, a, uh, Convention at Earl one time, so the Quakers were completely ticked off at Roosevelt for being president, <laughs> and uh, and and the McNutt was the Democrat, I think. And uh, on 40 west of Indianapolis, they built an overpass over the railroad on 40, and everybody called it the the family called it McNutt's Monument. So, <laughs> so we were always Republican, and uh, and even Grandfather Mills and all. Oh, were active in uh, politics. Uh, fact, in I don't know during uh, I think there were two precincts at the county, but Grandfather Mills and uh, two other older residents, one day before the election, ran over the poll books and said how everybody had voted in the coming election. They missed it by three votes. <laughs> Close one. That's fine. So you were kind of aware of I your aware family. Of Politics. One time they asked me to run for the school board and I, or for uh, for advisory board, and we got beat by the Democrats and that. And I, you know, I didn't work on very hard. Mm -hmm. And then uh, one night at I don't know if we want to get into this by now, but one night at the Lions Club, which I joined uh, soon after, why the Republicans in Marion County were having a big fight. Uh, Keith Buellen was. And some insurgents were trying to throw out Dale Brown, the incumbent county chairman. And a bunch of the candidates went with the, with the recruits and uh, with the new bunch. And so the old bunch were badly looking for candidates. And uh, at that time, you ran at large in Marion County. There were 15 seats. And uh, so if you weren't by somebody, you couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, one night, the local township chairman, who was also a lion, said, you got some interesting credentials, would you consider running for the legislature? And I said, why not? And so we did, and uh, we got smashed in the primary. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, that's the end of my political career. But uh, a member of the Lions Club and a, a member of the winning ticket uh, a good friend uh, was uh, Richard Gibbon, who uh, was a state rep at the time, and he he came to me after the uh, for the '68 or whatever that election was, and said, uh, "I'm going to run for Supreme Court, and I'm going to tell my guys to give you my seat." <laughs> so I went down and interviewed the four people. They said, "Okay," and that was the campaign. <laughs> 
Well, I've read a little bit about Keith Bulin. Um, what was his position at that time with the party? Well, at that time, he was county chairman. Okay. Uh, he won the, the year before he won the, uh, they, they won the, pre, they, they ran a full slate of precinct commanders, so they uh, pitched, put his people in and pitched uh, Dale Brown and his bunch out. So he was the county chairman, and he and, and two or three other people I interviewed with. and. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that was sort of mid to late 60s when you were yeah, really starting yeah, to get I, into first that. time around was in 66, second time. It was 68 into 69. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so it, coming back from the war, finishing your degrees, did you then start with Mill Brothers Farms? or No, what was I, spent, I spent the first 10 years up at the processing plant, milk processing plant. Okay. And we got into, finally got into trouble and sold out and I went back to the farm. And, okay. Uh, did that then they're on. Now, was the family farm called Maplehurst? I've seen that name. Well, Maplehurst was the name of the processing plant. Okay. And it was uh, my grandmother when uh, she got married, and she was from Plainfield. Okay. The, my great-grandfather had, had uh, graduated Merlin in 1850, and he went out and surveyed southwestern Iowa a surveyor and a pretty good mathematician. He came back and made enough money to build a big Georgian house uh, back up the lane of Woodhouse. And there were maple trees down this lane. I don't know, the lane was 150 yards long. She called it Maplehurst, the home of maples. And so that's where Maplehurst's name came. And uh, so they called the bakery, uh, I mean, the Jerry Maplehurst Farms. Okay. Did your family farm have a name or? Well, we always operated. Well, Originally it was Edward S. Mills and Sons, and then we switched to Mills Brothers a little later on. Okay. So you worked, you said, 10 years for the processing plant, and then went back to farming. Farming, yeah. Okay. Um, is that what you wanted to do long-term, or did you have other career aspirations? Well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I was a little defeated by the way the dairy business had gone, but it uh, just inevitable. Um, I mean, our customer base is dried up. And I just went to see my sister, Helen, last week. And so um, we were probably, at the time I left, one of the larger, fairly significant dairy. But there were 40 dairies, 30 dairies in Indianapolis at the time. Anyway, I, I went to see my sister, and I don't my son drove me up here. I said, uh, let's look at the Walmart built a new plant in Fort Wayne. They're just by Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, and Illinois. And this plant is absolutely humongous. It's got five unloading docks. They unload five semi-tankers of wow. milk at a time. And, you know, that's just a whole different world. Yeah. And um, so I farmed for uh, uh, I, 52. I, uh, I mean, I, I, farmed, I was up in the area for 10 years. Or, Came back in 52, and then I did that till uh, I got elected in 66. I still farmed, and I, I had one brother, Murray, back on the farm, so he he covered it, kept the thing running while I was all horsing around the legislature. <laughs> horsing around, being the and, uh, But one of the things that uh, probably, uh, two things that kind of influenced with the legislature. One, uh, we were farming, and I was renting a from farm from a neighbor lady, and and the 
property taxes that she was paying was a third of the rent. And so I wrote, and Doc Bowen was, when I got elected, I wrote Doc Bowen a, a letter, and he was very interested in the property tax relief issue. And was he speaker at this time? Yeah. Okay. I told him I was very uh, interested in uh, doing something in property taxes. He put me on ways and means the first year, which is almost unheard of. Mm -hmm. And the uh, um, second year, I ended up chairing the appropriations part of it, I guess. Uh, second term. Uh, so I got off the running start there. Then uh, the other uh, unique role I tend to play pretty quickly was, uh, this started in the house, I guess. Uh, I was able to communicate I mean, with a Harvard degree, business degree, uh, and a farmer. I could kind of bridge between the rural communities and the urban mm -hmm. business community. So I, I introduced the first bill to, uh, I think in the second term of the house, the banks were again to talk about banking, and uh, John Mutz came to me. He was working for Merchants Bank, and he said, I can't carry this thing, but would you carry the bill to expand banking? And uh, so I did that for, uh, took 13 years to pass that thing. And but, uh, Meanwhile, the banking business sure got wiped out in Indiana. I mean, that's, I've read a little about that, and my understanding, and please correct me if this is wrong, but it was necessary legislation, but it almost came too late. Oh, yeah, it came way too late, yeah. Yeah. And because uh, the high banks had already consolidated, and they just came up and scooped up everything in the end. Mm -hmm. So why were people so resistant to that? How come it took 13 years? Well, uh, the number one opponent was a guy out here at Fountain County. Uh, the independent bankers were opposed to it. And most of those guys had little monopolies. You couldn't uh, couldn't do a banking in their county, and uh, uh, and the White family controlled uh, Fountain County Bank and Trust Company. They had a law office. You had to even go through the law office to get a bank loan. <laughs> Goodness. So it was a very much a personal. Mm -hmm. They maintained the local interest there, but. Uh, mm -hmm. It, uh, but that time, you know, uh, most of those guys couldn't even finance a good farm anymore. Yeah. So did that legislation pass then mid eighties? Yeah, something like that. Early yeah. 80s? Okay. Well, I want to get back here into the politics, but real quick, um, when did you get married? Well, I got married, uh, and I graduated Harvard in '52, and uh, we got married in '54. Okay. And where did you meet Marianne? Well. We were both Quakers, and the families had known each other. My brother roomed at her, her brother, I think, one semester. I even had one date with her older sister. Uh, <laughs> but I think I had one date, older sister was a year older ahead of me, or two years ahead of me in school. Uh, she lived down Mooresville, which is right down the road. But uh, uh, I think I took her to a dance one time at Earl, and she, I was a senior and she was a freshman. Then. Mm -hmm. And we hadn't had any contact till uh, I dated a few other girls around until uh, Christmas of 53. And I called her up and asked her for a date and uh, uh, she said, okay. And she, by that time she'd taken a job up at, uh, she was uh, majoring in elementary music and took a job up at Gas City and was home for the holidays. And so I took a job with her and uh, I mean, it, she she came home and I called her for a date, and then my college friends called me and said, uh, 
I got a date with Marianne tomorrow night because I stay at your house. <laughs> <laughs> but I won that race, and so we, we ended up pretty quickly and decided to get married. <laughs> well, good for you. Um, I in, did well. <laughs> yes, yes, I'd say so. Um, in, did you have any children? What? Did you have children? I have three boys. Three boys. In, in, uh, what are their age ranges? Well, uh, uh, we were married in, in uh, August of 50, 50, well, yeah, August of 54. And we were, uh, uh, Doug was born in January of 56. And then Fred was born in uh, December of uh, November of 57 and Gordon was 62. Okay. Have you run into Fred in here? Now? I don't think so. Well, he's, uh, he worked for the dairy for a while and he went to, took an MBA at IU. But he's now the governmental affairs for uh, Internet Park Light Company. So he's around the legislature all the time now. Yes, I bet I will then in the future. <laughs> so. Well, did, how did your family influence your career decisions or getting into politics? Well, I don't think they, well, of course, uh, her dad's uh, uh, dabbled in politics a little bit too, but uh, the Quakers had always been somewhat interested in politics. When I went to the house of, of uh, well, if she went to a church down in Mooresville, friends meeting, and at that time, that little friends meeting had a U.S. congressman, a state senator, a state rep, and a senator. All wow. <laughs> so, you know, just always in, in politics. Uh -huh. and, not, and not politics per se, just being active in the community type politics. And sure. Well, as you initially, in some ways you've already answered this, but as you initially became more involved in politics and considered running, what were key issues or legislation that you championed or fought against? I know you mentioned the banking, but is there anything else in the property taxes? But is there, did you come into it with knowing these are the things I want to do? No, or? no, not particularly. I, I think one thing, you know, from a, the economist or a business person, I always wanted to see the government run as well as possible, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a good budget, I mean, fund the things you need to fund and don't fund the messing around things. Uh, I was not an advocate of the union, we had a real nasty strike while I was at the dairy, mm -hmm. and so we, I, I had no use at all for union, they almost bankrupted the company. Uh, so I went in with that prejudice. Uh, but other than that, just, uh, I found it fascinating. And then I, I, I got to participate in a major decision early. Mm -hmm. And that, that made it, you know, I got into uh, working on the budget my second year in the, in the house. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, then I got interested in um, somewhat in educational funding. Mm -hmm. uh, her father at that time, I guess, was trustee. And uh, they were having a heck of a time running the financing of schools. Uh, the, the state in the 60s, the only support that the state gave local schools, they had a $40 flat grant and uh, per kid. And uh, your first use of that was for debt service. And then if you had any left over, you used it for the general fund. Well, the spread 
between the poorest school and the wealthiest school was 10 to 1. Mm. Uh, fighting with the oil refiners is the highest Park County, southeastern, southwestern, southeastern Park County was the poorest in the state. Mm. And they didn't have a nickel to do anything with it. Yeah. And so I got interested in that and uh, uh, I, uh, the first bill that ever did anything to, uh, I guess this is the year I got to the Senate, that did anything at all about equalizing is uh, Larry Boris was chairman of Senate Finance and I, I had this idea of uh, if uh, a school corporate, at that time there was a maximum amount of taxes you could levy for school. And I went to him and I said, well, how about saying that if this levy doesn't raise 400 bucks or something like that, the state will make up the difference. So that was the first equalization formula that the state did on that. And uh, then we went from there to evolved into state funding about all of it now. Okay. Now, I think I read about a bill where you wanted to take money from the construction fund to pull into the general fund or something like that? Well, I don't know though. Um, I don't remember that issue per se, but uh, mm -hmm. there was uh, there was ability. Some school corporation had more money than construction money. Yeah, I think that was and it. You, so, but you were involved in sort of pushing for the equalization throughout your tenure. Yeah, a whole tenure. And yeah. then I wrote the school department for 25 years, pretty mm -hmm. much. And, uh, on that type thing, and mm -hmm. uh, then of course one of the, the next issue was just coming, starting to come on about 1990 was the uh, shift in enrollments, the decline of the urban schools and the uh, expansion of uh, suburban schools, mm -hmm. and we've started to have the, we talked about ghost students and <laughs> mm -hmm. that type of thing, so we first started to move and they've probably gone overboard on per student financing because you just can't collapse schools districts as fast as mm -hmm. IPS or Gary or some of those have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of that's up in the air right now, oh, yeah. I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, well, as, you're, as you were entering politics in the 60s and 70s, who were your national political heroes? Did you have any sort of politicians you looked up to? Um, Not really. Uh, well, one of my early connections was that uh, we were farmers down to Cater Township, and and Dick Lugard ran for the school board, I think. But he his family had a farm down there, and I went to talk to him about uh, farming his farm. Mm -hmm. And uh, about a year later, it, I guess it became vacant, so we started farming it about. Uh, mm, I don't know whether I was in the legislature then or not. But anyway, by the time he was mayor, I was farming that, and of course, all the time he was in the Senate. Why? Mm -hmm. And he'd stop by the house once in a while, and I'd chat with him. Mm -hmm. And so I got to know him pretty well. Yeah. Okay. And of course, Nixon was a Quaker, and, uh, you know, he ended up becoming a mess, but his, uh, his family grew up in. Uh, uh, Whittier, California, mm -hmm. and uh, my aunt and uncle went out there and to Whittier. My grand, my grandmother had a brother and sister went to Whittier when it was founded, and they were in that same community. And mm -hmm. then 
And Uncle Russell and Aunt Beulah went out. And I, uh, they worked for the Nixon filling station for a while, so they really? knew Richard Lee as a kid in school. And That's interesting. <laughs> well, I had some, you know, closer association with him. And, mm -hmm. uh, even though he kind of turned out not the way they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's how they wanted that to end up, yeah. probably. But, um, what was your first election day like? First election day, um, well, I guess I knew we were going to get beat pretty badly, but I went downtown. To, I think I remember the most is I went downtown to the county chairman's office, and he was running out of money and everything else, Dale Brown, and I spent the evening with him as he got beat. <laughs> and I thought that's the end of my political career until Dick Gavin came by. Uh, Two years later, and I said, "How about that?" And so I, that's okay. So. Yeah. So you'd already had the sort of letdown one. Yeah, I, you know, I had, I had at that time when you ran for legislature, you only met sixty days every other year, so it was just mm -hmm. a very small part-time job, and uh, uh, so it didn't make a whole lot of difference. Mm -hmm. Well, you then served for thirty-two years. Yeah, Is right. that right? So did were you nervous each election, or was it? Kind of what happens will happen. How did you feel? Well, no. I, after the first election, uh, <clears throat> no, I didn't have, I didn't have any anxiety much at all. I mean, I thought we were going to win, and uh, <clears throat> the party was very strong and very kind at that time. And I always had a, uh, an a precinct down by the stockyards that uh, I had. And you could go to that precinct. It about tell you how the county election is going to come out. <laughs> it was a working class neighborhood. If one Republican, you know, you're going to win. If it didn't, it didn't. But uh, I, I didn't have any anxiety. Did you run? Did you have campaign strategy? Did you do a lot of campaigning? No, what no. That I mean, like? the thing is, I would. I don't think I could survive today. I, uh, I don't. I, I never spent. $2,000 in any campaign. Mm -hmm. I did buy yard signs finally. Mm -hmm. uh, one year we had a fundraiser and I raised 40000 bucks on a dinner out the farm, but I gave it all away. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't do any, at that time the legislature didn't do any mailings. Have anybody, uh, when Chip Edwards was, a, was president pro tem, he started shipping newspapers, but this whole bunch of crap of mailing all that stuff for all that. The parties ran the thing, and I think that's a real disaster right now. Because you got everybody's a maverick running on the cause, and mm -hmm. and uh, we used to have a Marion County had a caucus every before the legislature. We decided what we we're going to work on, and uh, those were the issues that uh, we dealt with, and uh, that's pretty well. We framed went in as a party and didn't go in as a bunch of independent people. Mm -hmm. uh, well, when you were starting then in the, the late 60s and into the 70s, what, what was the Republican Party like? What were the main issues that you were focused on? Mm -hmm. uh, well, of course, it was always nice to be in control. I, I think we were always on, uh, well, it's just nice to be running things. I mean, that was the first issue, to run things. Uh, of course, uh, uh, we were having a meeting one time and they were talking about opening a Federal Chamber of Commerce in Indianapolis office. And uh, 
Somebody said, well, what's the purpose of that? And Gordon and Al was an active thing. He said, what's another appointee we can get? <laughs> but uh, I didn't have any, I didn't have any, uh, you know, I didn't have any vested interest in it one way or the other. And well, what would you say, I guess, what was the political philosophy of the Republicans? What were the key things well, you stood I, for? Well, I think we, we had a really, uh, Bulin really uh, rounded up a unique bunch of people in that first group. We had Larry Morris, mm -hmm. uh, Ned Lampkin, you know Ned, and his wife, uh, 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 John Mutz, um uh, uh, Oh, Blackfellow's uh, coach of Christmas Addicts, uh, uh, one of the basketball already. Uh. Anyway, it was just a bunch of bright guys in there and, uh, and interested in government and, and, and just in good government, not mm -hmm. uh, per se. Dad served a little bit on the, the uh, county, uh, I guess the Juliet board for a while, which was the county home. And he was just completely disgusted with the Democrats wanting to make patronages of a point out and mm -hmm. so we, I'd say that real interest was just good government and mm -hmm. uh, the party got organized with uh, Bulin, uh well John Burkhart uh, funded the first go round. John Burkhart was a, a DePaul graduate and he started selling uh, life insurance to his fellow students then time at college life and uh, then finally ended up uh, Founding, uh, oh, the loan thing up, which is now Sally May. Oh. And uh, so he he funded the thing. He he did, he. I just want people to to uh, good people to run mm -hmm. good government, mm -hmm. and that was the agenda. Okay. What were you thinking as you walked into the state house the first day? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I had served a page one time, so I'd been in the state okay. house one time. And, uh, but you know, you, you know you, it, of course, at that time, the buildings on there is impressive just now because it got redecorated by war, and uh, mm -hmm. so it's kind of gum going. The house uh, chamber was pretty extensive, but the state house itself was a yeah. pretty gum place. But you know, you, you were there, and you had a parking spot. That was, <laughs> but you know, you had to, I always said everybody had takes two years to learn now where the bathroom is. So. <laughs> <laughs> Learning process. Well, how did you learn the ins and outs of state government? Well, I always managed to be where the action was. And of course the action was getting in on finance early on. I was active in the, uh, the Farm Bureau people. We had always been members of Farm Bureau. So I had that, that block. The business community picked me up real quick, so I had the two major blocks that were uh, uh, active in, in operating the state mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and moved into that from the outside and then internally I guess I somebody thought I was worth promoting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any political mentors as you were coming into the General Assembly that sort of helped you learn the ropes? No, not per se. No. No. Of course, the first stage was only 60 days we went home, so. Right, right. <laughs> it's kind of surprising you're here in the business and boom, you're gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know whether you'd be back or not. Yeah, it's true. Um, well, how did you know the needs and wants of your constituents? Uh, you didn't pay much attention. 
per se. I, mean, I, I think at that time, people were generally elected to do the best they do, period. And not, say, Ann's kitchen didn't work or all those kind of issues. Just, mm -hmm. you run the schools as well as you could, you ran the government as well as you could, you fixed the roads, you took care of the mental health. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was in the house then for two years and they redistricted then in, in the fall of, after the second term. And I was that time set to be a ranking member or chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. And uh, Keith Buellman called me in and said, I want you to run for the Senate. And I said, I don't want to run for the Senate. Uh, I got this position in the House. He said, Hank, you better run for the Senate. <laughs> and I was running against uh, Bob O'Neill, who'd been the county sheriff. And by that time, we had a district with, with really Wayne Township, Speedway, Ben Davis, and whatnot. And uh, he said, I'll get you a, I'll get you a good aid. It was Mitch Daniels. <laughs> well, there you go. I doubt many people can say Mitch Daniels was their aid. <laughs> well, he was my campaign aide. He, yeah. He helped do the stuff like that. And, uh -huh. Did and, you stay in touch with him when he was working his way through government? Yeah, I, I see him once in a while. We know as you as each other are, yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, whatnot. And, uh, That's funny. So, and uh, and the county, the organization spent some money on, and so I, so I won comfortably. And uh, there's another guy in the house who uh, uh, wanted that seat, and I get maybe a file for it or something. He got, he got beat, and uh, uh, so he wanted to file an independent, or he wanted to file maybe it was the next year. Even. Anyway, they. Next year they passed a bill that a guy who got beaten in the primary couldn't file as an independent of the same seat. Mm -hmm. but then after that, why I, uh, Wayne Township was the center of that thing, and uh, they had the world's largest volunteer fire department. And I think there were seven uh, stations in Wayne Township. And the trustee was uh, in cahoots with him. So, the only thing he had to do to get reelected was eat fish at all of seven fish fry. <laughs> <laughs> that was a busy summer for him, I bet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I did all that. And yeah. then, of course, uh, but we never had any. Uh, there, was a, there was some Republican clubs, but they were uh, township Republican clubs. I went to a few of those, but mm -hmm. uh, nobody ever, you know, asked me about how I voted on something or... Mm -hmm. uh, so is the mentality more like, you know, we we trust you, we sort of think you're a good guy to, to lead yeah, us, whereas yeah. I'm not going to necessarily call you on every issue. Oh yeah, I didn't ever got any calls at all. Yeah. And uh, the school the school teacher, I, I, I didn't like this union, and uh, they had a horrible time with me because I usually tried to get them a little more money, but they... I, did, I voted against everything else they wanted, and I said, said well, what did uh, lobbyists come in and said, why can't you just give it one little vote? <laughs> <laughs> well, but they never ran anybody against me, so they... Mm -hmm. uh, when the teachers union had a lot of power in yeah, Indiana, time, they? Yeah, yeah. and uh, so uh, it was kind of funny, but that time, of course, the uh, business community picked up, and I... Uh, you know, got some appointments here and there. 
What was the first bill you sponsored? Do you remember? The first bill I sponsored. Or maybe the first issue that really mattered to you that you wanted to work on. <laughs> well, well, first fight I got into. <laughs> that seems like a good well, story. Uh, was it, uh, I think it was when Pat Bauer uh, went to uh, the uh, phosphate and detergents was an issue. And uh, the business community liked it. It came and asked me if I could carry a bill to, to uh, uh, allow phosphates to be used. And uh, he led the opposition, and I forget, I, I forget whether they want or not anyway. But anyway, we got to the committee, and uh, I thought I had it out of the committee, and uh, I didn't have it out of the committee, but two of the people who opposed the bill uh, weren't there, and he, uh, we could file a minority report for the committee, and he found the two guys that <laughs> weren't there, and they signed the majority report, so the minority report had more signatures than the majority report. <laughs> Oops. So I think they dealt with that issue I, after that. You could, you, the minority couldn't sign a bill if they weren't there at the committee. So. Mm -hmm. But I, I think, uh, well, early on, I think, uh, uh, I don't remember, I had one bill. They told you at that time you're supposed to get a, 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 a fellow, a Democrat co-author. I got, got John Bushimi to be the author. He was from Lake County. I haven't, don't have a clue what the bill was. And, uh, but I started working on the budget pretty soon. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, now, one of the first bills, I, I guess, is in the House. And uh, I, uh, I, saw, I think I was still in the House. And uh, the head of the independent colleges came to me and said, Well, you, uh, we got a, Idea, he said, uh, the Freedom of Choice Bill. Are you familiar with that? I looked a little into it. And uh, it was, it was for independent colleges. If you were a student in need, you could get a state scholarship equal to the uh, state expenditures for the cheapest school, which was Vincennes University. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, uh, I said, well, I was. By that time, Dad was a trustee at Arnold, he was a trustee. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll carry that bill, and we passed it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think this year it passed out 50 million bucks to, wow. to the independent colleges. Mm -hmm. And so schools like Marion and those guys just live off that bill. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that changed the game for them. Oh yeah, a lot, a lot for those type of schools. And yeah. uh, uh, but then, I got active in the independent colleges after I left the legislature. I guess I, they always had some lay members. I got active in that. And then, well, about three years ago, I got an award from the National uh, Association of Independent Colleges for mm -hmm. being the most significant guy in independent education in the United States. And wow. Congratulations. I don't count that bill. Uh, well, I carried that. Of course, I had the banking bill all the time, and I always had the budget. Uh, mm -hmm. You get, you know, screwy things about politics. One year I introduced a bill in the dairy business, and uh, we always had trouble with the dang college kids carrying off the milk cases to build <laughs> shells. And the corporate would have trouble with people pushing off uh, uh, shopping carts. And so the corporate guy and I introduced a bill to make it a felony or a misdemeanor to steal a milk cart or a, a uh, uh, Grocery cart, and uh, I made the papers as a, a 
a uh, special interest bit of legislation. I don't know if the pastor or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I think outlawing somebody from stealing your goods, I didn't think that was necessarily special interest. But <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it is. Well, I, no I noticed looking back through um, the legislation that you sponsored, it seems like very frequently you put forth um, a bill to get rid of the death penalty. Yeah, I, I did do that to partly the partly the friends' background, and even the Catholic Church was promoting that. I think. Uh huh. How they do it? I don't. That never passed. No. It, uh, uh, the federal law changed somewhere. Federal law changed somewhat, and it. Uh, I introduced a one. Well, I did get a hearing one time, and uh, Meeks but said, "But I won't give you a vote." <laughs> and uh, another bill, I. Uh, I, uh, when Mutz was president of the Senate, I introduced a bill from the uh, Friends National Committee on uh, trying to deal with uh, reduction of uh, nuclear weapons. And uh, I guess I, it was a resolution or something. And, and uh, I guess the National Republicans were opposed. Anyway, Mutz killed the thing before it ever voted out a real quick gavel or something. And, uh, but I did a little work on that, and then uh, uh, yeah, you, the Quakers kind of always dabbling in things. We got interested one time in a, a uh, <clears throat> some Quaker lady in Washington decided that foreign diplomats ought to see more than Washington D.C., and she formed a group to take them out on tours in the Midwest and or all over the country. But they had one in. Uh, and IU kind of participated in it. So one year we hosted them on, out on the farm. And well, first year I think we had, uh, and then I think they put them out in people's houses. But anyway, we had, we ended up with the ambassador from Algeria as an overnight guest. Wow. And uh, he stayed with us and. Uh, Did you say Nigeria? Yeah. Yeah. No, Algeria. Algeria, okay. And he, he was talking about how he got to be that way. He said he was studying government in, uh, NYU and they, he kind of was with the side they had a re revolution and he was kind of helping those guys. He got a call from him and said, we, we won, you come home and help us organize the government. <laughs> and he got to be a partner. So, so uh, when the Nigerian, when the Algerian president came to visit the, the uh, White House, why uh, the protocol is that uh, the uh, vice, the uh, ambassador and, and the president is supposed to host a reception for the vice president. So we got an invitation to uh, Rand and I to go to uh, Washington to attend this reception with the president. And of course at that time the vice president was Quayle mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I knew Quayle back when uh, he was a, when I first worked in the governor's office under a victim, why Quayle was a, a kid around the governor's office. And uh, one time, one of the lobbyists had a, a golf outing up at uh, uh, Bonicello, and he said, I'd like for you to come up and I'll get you a ride. And it was Quail. <laughs> <laughs> You've got Daniels as your aide, you got Quail as your chauffeur. Yeah. So I, I knew Dan all along, and, uh -huh. and so that was kind of fun. So, yeah, that was a funny thing in the world of. Yeah. What were interactions like between the Republicans and the, the Democrats when you were in the General Assembly? Well, um, of course, at the, 
uh, depending on who was who was in charge and whatnot. Uh, Frank O'Bannon's uh, uh, was a very uh, uh, easy guy to get along with. I was governor for a little bit with him. Uh, Evan By I uh, was a little icier because he built Doc Bowen's son for governor for secretary of state and then went on. And he beat much and that little icier during then. But uh, at the budget committee level, we uh, got along pretty well. And, uh, you know, the Republicans were usually completely in control. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I don't know how to be to serve in a minority. I never did do that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to do that. Uh, one time we had a, we had one, we were one vote short of having a quorum. And we were passing bills, but you had to have a quorum to. If you pass a vote with 26 bill with 26 votes, you you had to have a quorum to start. But then you so the Democrats all walked out, and, and we were passing bills. If they were all standing there looking in, and one of them stepped in the door, it made a quorum, so they couldn't challenge you. <laughs> oh, no. And uh, you know, some of my good friends were uh, I knew of. Uh, oh, uh, most of the the. Uh, uh, budget directors that were Democrats, I was still good friends of all those people. And mm -hmm. uh, So would you describe it, you know, I know you served over the course of 30 years, but at least somewhat of a spirit of bipartisanship or, or at least a willingness to be friendly to each other? I think the friendliness were a lot more present. We didn't have the people, on, we didn't have any messing around with social issues. Mm -hmm. uh, none of that was here. The only we had one gal that got all ex exercised about, oh, there was some super uh, uh, cure with apricots in, in Mexico for cancer or something, that bill made a lot of fuss. And then the Equal Rights Amendment got to be a little hot issue for a mm -hmm. while, and you know, I, I couldn't see any problem with that. Mm -hmm. The real conservative people thought that was terrible, but uh, you know, I thought women at least had a fair shot at it. And, but well, I do too. I'm sure I'm not supposed to say that, but okay. <laughs> I, uh, but, but we didn't have a, the social issues at all, and mm -hmm. uh, I had to be pretty good friends with the governor. Mm -hmm. One time, I, I forget what the bill was, but my secretary got a, a threatening letter from somebody, and uh, I guess she told the, the president of Rotem's office and. And for the governor, and uh, uh, Mary Ann got a phone call one day from, uh, and uh, she, the guy on the phone said, "This is Evan By." <laughs> she said, "Oh, no, no." <laughs> he said, "Yeah, it is." He said, "Would you like police protection?" <laughs> oh no. He said, "No, I get along all right." So, uh, yeah. but you know, we were Evan and I were pretty good friends. Mm -hmm. and, was this the uh, death threat over the local phone measure? Was that? I, forget, I read in the paper or something about yeah, that. Something like that. I, I forget what the issue was. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you, what, did that bother you? No, no, you? I, I didn't think it. I didn't think it very seriously. Uh -huh. uh, we, I had been through a, when we had the union strike, uh, we had, it was nasty. I mean, people put down uh, 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 a little wire device to flatten tires and tires and the whole thing, we had to get everything. So I, I mean, I lost the union thing real early on that mm -hmm. issue. And uh, 
Mm -hmm. uh, then later on, after about 10 years after I was out of Lazy, 15 years after I was out my brother, who kind of kept the milkman going, he found somebody else put some money in it, but he started a little uh, company called the Mapleers Deli Mate. And um, they, he bought a franchise to make uh, uh, <coughs> uh, frozen uncooked donuts. And they're going to take those to a, a shop, and all you had to do is to let them warm up, you could fry them and have a mm -hmm. fresh donut. A put, spud nut franchise. Well, that was about the time, that was in, I don't know, 1970 or something like that. Anyway, um, uh, he and another guy started that, and then they, that's the time that the supermarkets decided they wanted to sell fresh donuts. So we, uh, that business just grew like wildfire for a while, and we ended up with, I think, uh, we made a quarter, uh, half a billion donuts one year. I mean, oh we were in all the Kroger stores and, and all over the South, and we built a plant down in uh, Carrollton, Georgia, and uh, could get in full, so we started making cakes. Uh, and then they sell them to the supermarkets frozen and they could decorate it. My brother, younger brother started selling everything to decorate a cake with. And so what, what was the name of the company? Mabel Earth's Deli Bank. And it's, uh, it's still, uh, then by that time the supermarkets, then about 1994, while the supermarkets beginning to get tired of doing that and Kroger built their own plant, that's what they end up. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so my brother sold that company in '94, I guess, and uh, but I made we made some money on that, and, yeah. but uh, at the time where well, we, uh, I now I spent five years. His partner left, so I did the financial work for that thing for a while, and uh, so I did helped him with some, some finances for five years, and then he decided to split. And so I came back home to the farm again, yeah. and. Uh, so the Harvard business degree worked in several ways. Yeah, I could yeah. deal with bankers and uh -huh. whatnot. And I got to be a, I, I was real, I, I knew Doc Bowen pretty well. Mm -hmm. I knew Bob Orr real well, because we were both Harvard guys, and mm -hmm. uh, we go up to his house once in a while, I go out to, been, went to the theater a few times with him, and uh, then I went with him when we went to Japan for the Subaru trip. Mm -hmm. And uh, to get to sewer where plant, and uh, knew him real well. And uh, yeah, I, went, I made two trips with Bob Moore. We made one trip with the lieutenant governor of South America, uh, Brazil, mm -hmm. and then I went with uh, uh, Bob Moore to Japan. And then with Frank O'Bannon, lieutenant governor, we did one of the uh, Yugoslavia, uh, Russia, Ukraine, Yugoslavia, and Poland. Wow! And that was a seven-day day trip. So those mm -hmm. were real. Did you get to go on those as well? No. no. <laughs> well, I have a few more questions for you if you have time, but sure, if not, I, I can. Uh, I don't have anything to do to. <laughs> well, the tiny lady's coming and she'll run the sweeper. Yeah, I wish you could do that in the other room. Um, well, one, one question I had, which you had mentioned this earlier, I was just curious what it felt like being in the House and then the, the Senate also when they sh the shift from the biennial to the, the annual sessions. Well, of course. Uh, we did that in the house. We had I was in the first short session in the house. Um, I don't know the same stuff. Really, it, it didn't. The whole second session never 
turned out to be what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be for emergency issues only, and everything became an emergency. <laughs> so the, that issue uh, uh, kind of perverted the thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it just took another. Of course, it was in the, when I was in the Senate, it was a short session, so it wasn't mm -hmm. like the main session. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, but it, well, it made a whole lot of difference with your life, too. Yeah. yeah. But then when it, when you went with the short session, second short session, then I became a member of the budget committee. My when you second term in the House, maybe. When you, we, you know, the budget committee goes out four days every, four times every summer for three days tours mm -hmm. the state. Mm -hmm. So that's when it started, and then the hearings started in the fall. So. <laughs> That's what it became. I, the last year I was there, I was, uh, got per diem for 179 days. Mm -hmm. When I started, you got per diem for 60. Right. So, a lot longer sessions <laughs> then. Um, you, you mentioned this earlier, and I think I had read an article maybe that you were quoted in the Indianapolis Business Journal where you would say that there was often a, a rural-urban divide. Um, and a lot of times politicians would sort of, um, you know, uh, you, you said, I think, Indianapolis has always been a rallying cry for someone on the outside. That's the way you do it. You yell about Indianapolis and you build up your candidate. Did I say that? I think so, or something to that effect. Well, <laughs> there, there was a very, Indianapolis had never elected a governor mm -hmm. uh, to a who. So I don't think there's ever been a Marion County governor elected president. Mm -hmm. So that there's always that that issue. Did that? Do you think helped you sort of coming from the farm, but also being a business guy and sort of well, I was a, I, I I was the guy that did an awful lot of bridging of that gap. Mm -hmm. I could understand both sides of the issue. I understood mm -hmm. the urban problems. I understood the business community. I mm -hmm. understood the rural life. And of course, her dad was trustee, so I knew a little bit about what was going on, mm -hmm. even in rural schools. And so it was a real, it was a real, I think, benefit to. Uh, not only for uh, my knowledge, but for being able to move up to where I got to be what it was. And I finally ended up in the Senate. I chaired, I chaired the Appropriations Committee. I was still under Larry Boris' chairman. So I went to Bob uh, Garten and said, I'd like to be a committee chairman. So he named me chairman of the, of the uh, Commerce and Consumer Affairs Committee and chairman of the budget subcommittee. I had two major committees I chaired, which nobody else has ever done since then. So. Wow. Uh, the Commerce Committee regulated utilities. They regulated uh, some of the manufacturing business. It, uh, some of the laws, I mean, I the, I created LLC corporations in Indiana in that committee. I, a lot of work on telephone deregulation, a whole lot mm -hmm. of that stuff. So I, I really had a pretty wide and I was very fortunate to get two real good aides. I got uh, Kevin Brittiger, was my first aide, mm -hmm. and you know where he is right now. He's the State Chamber of Commerce. Oh, there you go. Wow. Uh, he, he went and got his MBA while I was in school. And then my second one was uh, Gretchen Goodman, and uh, she'd been with a uh, tax and policy finance institute. Her dad had been in the legislature. But she's so now Goodman? a senior vice president of Cook. Industries in Bloomington. Wow, yeah. So, so sounds like you had good help there. Yeah, but these, these two people really did a lot of the ideas. And uh -huh. You could just tell what you were thinking about and they'd convert it to paper. And sure. What was your relationship like with your seatmates? My seatmates? Uh, 
most of the time pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the sitting lady I had in the house next to me was uh, uh, Virginia Blankenbaker. Mm -hmm. And Virginia and I grew up, we were neighbors as kids. Huh. And I had a day, few dates with her older sister. And uh, Virginia was always golf on her own and they claimed that she claimed that they put me her next to me so I would keep her under control. <laughs> but, but generally speaking, I mean, uh, real good, although I didn't, uh, uh, I don't think I ended up being real close friends with any of them, except, uh, as I say, Virginia, we knew way, way, way back. But, mm -hmm. And then, of course, the Marion County group was always pretty close, and uh, Larry Morris and I finally got to be a very close friends. Our wives, uh, well, can you walk me briefly through the process of generating a bill? How did that work during your time? Well, most of the time, uh, somebody else had an idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, but the idea, you took it down to the Legislative Council to put it into uh, a bill form. And uh, to do that, uh, I say 80% of the one I was talking about, financing schools with a local issue, all that stuff you, I put in committee reports after the thing was in process. But most of the bills were somebody, the banking bill somebody brought, uh, I don't know, eight, the stealing the grocery cart bill, I told them to draft a bill. And, uh, mm -hmm. The independent college or somebody already brought, brought that bill. Uh, so then how did you, um, I guess, garner support for the bill? How, how did you? Um, mostly I didn't go around beating anybody over the head. Mm -hmm. you, you, <laughs> I mean, you, you had to make a good argument in committee uh, about what you're trying to do. You had to get out of committee and then uh, uh, get support on the floor. And it was, I never approached anybody individually, I don't think all the time I was there, mm -hmm. about asking for a vote on a bill. So did you usually have a sense of how you thought people might vote? Well, um, most of the time you knew about where the sentiment was, you'd hear all, you heard a discussion in the committee as to how people thought about it. And, uh -huh. So you could uh, kind of estimate from there what yeah, might yeah. happen. Yeah, and, and some of the bills, you know, when the death of the bill, uh, Meeks was chairman of this committee, he says, I, I don't like the bill, he said, I'll give you a vote. So he got out of committee and, and uh, but he wouldn't give you, I'll, I'll give you a committee hearing. And then I knew they weren't going to take a vote, so you know. Mm -hmm. A lot of those things were that mm -hmm. ended up that way. You get a hearing, but you don't get a vote, and yeah. that's the chairman makes that decision. Well, that kind of leads to my next question: of um, what role did party leadership play, or or leadership within the House and the Senate? Well, the, generally speaking, although we didn't uh, uh, do it somewhat, but the leaders would kind of um, some of the leaders would. would real active in organizing the thing. Garden tended to be a more of a hands-off. He was there most of the time I was there. He was pretty much a hands-off leader. He, 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 didn't, uh, he didn't take very strong positions on anything. And so we mostly it was just how you developed on the floor. Now, when you got to the uh, budget conference committee, then you had to take the bills to the, to the uh, your caucus, and we, we could spend three or four hours on the budget bill, just everybody complaining and what do you have to do to it to get your caucus to support it. You didn't worry about the other side. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
you didn't try to pass any bills uh, with uh, had any political conflict. If if your caucus didn't pass it, you just generally didn't try to do it. Mm -hmm. What is, what does the public not know about the General Assembly and how it operates? What would be helpful information for the public to know just about how it worked? Now, I, I think the public assumes there's a lot more shenanigans go on in the process than there is. I, I think that would be my number one issue. I think most of these, uh, I've never participated in trading votes or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, and there wasn't much that I know of. A little bit, I think, would do it once in a while. But I think the public thinks there's an awful lot more secrecy and the shenanigans than actually takes place. Why do you think the public thinks that? Well, I think you have the, the caucuses. The newspapers don't help any of I mean, What They always want to know what went on in the caucus or what went on in this type of thing. I mean, those are private discussions, and they think things are settled in the caucus. and all. I mean, you've got to arrive at a consensus. I mean, the legislative process is really a matter of, of consensus. You have to... Uh, and I guess maybe being a Quaker is <laughs> a benefit because they, the Quaker meeting always had to have consensus in any of their business and they never voted. And uh, so I, the legislature was a lot like that. In the, mm -hmm. You didn't have a, a vote in the caucus to say, huh? Well, you've talked a, a little bit about this and we'll go through these uh, kind of quickly, but um, what was the most controversial legislative issues during your time in the assembly? Banking bill went on for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, always going on was uh, uh, always some labor issues. Uh, uh, school funding was a mm -hmm. always an issue. Uh, teacher relative positions and whatnot was an issue on uh, what was subject to collective bargaining and whatnot. Um, and then there'd be uh, oh, certain issues. Certain, I mean, the year when we passed the Utica Bill in Marin County was a real hot issue. And uh, uh, and then when Bowen's tax package passed. And uh, I always say that uh, uh, a lot of those things have long... I always say that John Mutz lost the governorship because he voted against Bowen's tax bill. Because he, he was Marion County, he didn't people didn't want to pay income taxes, and but uh, Bowen had a memory like an elephant, and I think <laughs> he, it really soured much of support in the rural communities, mm -hmm. and uh, so get those kind of issues have long lasting effects. Mm -hmm. Nobody nobody's ever talked to anything about, it, but I'm I'm almost sure that's an issue. Uh huh. Well, we, we keep talking about the property tax. Now, Bowen started pushing for this when he was speaker, right? But that's it wasn't right. until he was governor that yeah, he got it through. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. right. We passed some bills in the House and somewhere in the Senate, they killed him. Uh -huh. And, uh, yeah, when it got to the Senate. And then it was a tight issue then. It uh, passed by uh, one vote, uh, I think. And the vote, he had a winning vote. We had a fellow from down south, he'd been a congressman, and uh, had an alcohol problem, but he took off that day, and uh, he was the 26th vote to pass the bill, and they 
finally set the state police out of fighting, and the, the board stayed open for three hours <laughs> until they finally got him in <laughs> to vote the bill to pass the package. <laughs> Well, what legislation did you work hardest on then? Would it be property taxes or the banking bill or? Well, no, I, I suppose I spent more time on the budget. I mean, mm -hmm. over year in, year out, I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you were on Ways and Means in the House, yeah. right? And then the Senate Finance. Well, yeah, right. And then, so, still learning the ins and outs of all, all this. So, was the State Budget Committee separate from Senate Finance or the state budget committee is made up of the director of the budget agency and the four uh, the chairman of uh, the Senate Finance or whoever they appoint, uh, chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, and the ranking minority member of each one. So, you have two in there okay. plus, plus the state budget director. Okay, so you were you were on state budget for a long time, yeah. Right? I, I was on from uh, but I I uh, I went on the budget committee my uh. Uh, second term in the second or my second Senate year in the, mm -hmm. in the Senate of Kenridge. Mm -hmm. okay. How did you get to be appointed by President Reagan um, to the National Advisory Council on was continuing education, I think? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> somebody in the governor's office or somebody in the state, probably the state chairman of the Republican Party. And uh, that was a, uh, a lot of fun, but a waste of government money. <laughs> there you go. How long were you on that? Well, I, I was appointed for two terms, and they finally did away with the second term, I think. Disbanded it halfway through the second term. Mm -hmm. But we, we were supposed to write a report, and we, we were met four times a year, twice a year in Washington, and twice somewhere around the United States, and look at things, and had a Three people on a staff in an office in Washington, you know. Mm -hmm. Even but nothing the, really came out of it. Nothing ever. Uh, we told people that they ought to continue to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Wise advice. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's still an issue. I mean, that's the number one issue right now. How do you, how you, it was a start out, how do you, how you get to the workforce trained? And we mm -hmm. looked at how some different types of people were doing it in different areas and mm -hmm. whatnot. But it was too political. I mean, it was, they were all political appointments. And mm -hmm. What, in your opinion, is the most important work of the, the General Assembly? Well, of course, I, you know, you got to run the state government. I mean, that's uh, with all the things I provide. I provide your educational system, your transportation system, your uh, legal system, your law and order, mm -hmm. public health. So it, you got all those issues you got to deal with. Mm -hmm. And you, you got to know something, especially on the budget committee. You got to know a little something about all what all things cost and what. It just used to bug the heck out of me when I was going to budget committee. I'd put up, spent the day before budding, uh, putting up hay, and then go down to the state prison. There's a uh, hundred guys in there doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Just sitting around, you know. I just couldn't figure out. <laughs> they should have been home putting up hay. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so do you. Um, but then, then they always tried to make people work in the prison and everything. And those people. Uh, I had a friend of mine that went to work at, down at Putnamville, and they had a silo down there. And uh, 
they, they had to pitch it out sideways with a fork, you know. And one guy dropped a fork on top of somebody coming up to shoot. <laughs> and uh, then they had a tire. Some places they worked like crazy. Uh, I went up at the state prison used to make the license plate. And they'd have to, they had a press there and they had to put in a number like a two, 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 and then to put the three in and then, and he had to get that thing in after before that thing came down. Those guys worked like crazy all day. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a place up at the port, they were recapping tires and those guys worked like crazy. And they tried to build a, have a machine repair shop. They're doing pretty well, so a bunch of nuts started, uh, screwballs started putting a nut on top of a piston after they got the machine done. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah. then the thing would fly it's apart. And, oh, no. so, so that's the kind of people they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, I should have followed up with this earlier. How involved were you with the UNIGOV? Well, uh, I was co-sponsor of the house. Okay. And I... Uh, and that was uh, very controversial. I, I was a firm believer that, uh, that that's the way we had to go. Mm -hmm. we, 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 there was two limitations put in. To, well, one of the things that happened was they froze us in the out school district, which was a mistake. But the worst thing that happened was that the stupid federal judge ordered busing. And there were no bill, houses built in Marion County for 20 years. And uh, that really messed up the whole mess. Mm -hmm. So now you got a city that's bankrupt and you don't have the people in the far uh, corner of the county. And mm -hmm. yeah. okay. Well, when did you leave the Indiana General Assembly? What did I what? When did you leave the General Assembly? I left it in the, my last meeting was a budget meeting in South Bend or somewhere in August, I guess. So then 2000? Yeah. That's right. So did you just decide to retire or? I, t I told them four years before mm -hmm. at the screening committee that I would not be back. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to go through the maze of mm -hmm. deciding where to retire or not. And, mm -hmm. and like I did, both Garden and Borsch got beat their next election. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had some people chomping at the bit. And mm -hmm. How would you summarize your time overall as a, as a legislator? Well, I had a, I think I had a, I enjoyed it. I think I was constructive. Uh, uh, I think I served the state well. Uh, I guess that, that summarizes it. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite story or anecdote during your time in the assembly? I don't know whether, uh, we, we, we had an awful lot of, uh, we had a lot of fun on the budget committee in spite of the report on that. And uh, um, one time we were, uh, when Judy Palmer, was, Doc Bowen was president, uh, governor, and uh, uh, Judy Palmer, I don't know if you ever knew Judy or not, she was ended up being treasurer at IU after, she was budget director for a while under Bowen. And uh, she, uh, we were up at Polkag and uh, the assistant budget director loved the the Department of Natural Resources, and he always wanted to stay all night in the state park. So anytime there was one nearby. So we were up in Pocagan, and uh, they always had a penny ante poker game to get started. And so we were all in somebody's bedroom playing poker with Judy. We had a call from the governor. <laughs> she wanted to talk to Judy about some issue. <laughs> I wonder if she ever told him what she was doing or not. <laughs> That's funny. 
any lessons that are sort of overarching themes or lessons that, that you learned during your service? Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think first place, you need to kind of establish your goals and what, what you're interested in. Uh, and don't get caught up in, in too many petty issues. Uh, and how you campaign and how you campaign. One of the first things that Marianne did uh, after she got over here about two years later was to help a local guy uh, run for Senate. And uh, I think he still thinks that the instructions we gave him, he's still there, uh, were essential in not getting yourself too far out on a limb and don't promise this or don't promise that or that kind of thing. I think that's a number one issue you it's a it's a pretty pretty complicated business and and i that's one of the reasons i am not for short-term limits because it takes you i said it takes you two years to find where the restrooms are it takes you six years to understand state government and uh i don't think you ought to stay to your old and feeble uh i mean every dog has his day and i think you need to retire like corporate executives when you're at the top of the pile and not I mean, Pat Bauer's hanging around now, and uh, he's just a nuisance for everybody around in terms of, has no no say-so in anything anymore. And mm -hmm. So I think one of the things you, it's it's like, what's up, there's a time to do this. Is a, and the, she's always quoting Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes about there's a what? Well, there's a time to win and there's a time to quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. How would you say that the state has changed over the course of your lifetime or your service? Well, um, it's um, a lot more complicated, firstly, um, In, in all kinds of ways. Educate. I can remember my uncle was a professor at IU, and he had a cousin, a son my age. I used to go down to IU with him before the war. There were 3,000 students at IU. And I went to Purdue one time to a 4 H thing, and 3,000 at Purdue, and now you have 40,000, 50,000. So the whole educational thing is completely, uh, uh, that's a whole new major enterprise. Uh, Ivy Tech was created by uh, first term in the Senate. Um, so you got that. You got the whole shift in mental health from when I went there, there were 3,000 people in prison and 12,000 in the mental hospitals. Now there are 30,000 in prison, 3,000 in the hospitals. So you had that whole shift of a thing. Um, <clears throat> foreign competition in, in production of automobiles and that whole thing. I mean, the whole, uh, I guess the whole automobile industry collapsed while I was in the legislature uh, from, uh, you know, Indianapolis had a, a Chevrolet body plant, a Chrysler had a plant, Ford had a plant, International made trucks, and you had that whole thing disappear. This whole new, uh, uh, 
social media, electronic, uh, all that kind of thing. That's, uh, uh, how far gone. My granddaughter just came back, moved back to Carville, and she's she was a claims adjuster on workers' compensation cases. And yeah, she was in Des Moines working for Nationwide, but she's now working for Ohio County and they're going to do it at home. Mm -hmm. You can adjust claims there just well. So you got that whole shift in employment. Mm -hmm. uh, what people work at, you know, it takes a lot more education for some of it. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, so I, it, it's getting more complicated, I guess is what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Well, how do you think the General Assembly changed during your tenure there? Well, I think you got the firebrands that we didn't tolerate, uh, uh, that we didn't have. I mean, the, the real conservative, uh, uh, Tea Party guys and uh, um, liberal Democrats and uh, the you know all the uh, social issues about gay marriage and same-sex marriage and all that. Uh, one of the budget directors happened to be a, a girl was a a would be we call her a lesbian, but she. You never knew it. I mean, it just she just just didn't have a boyfriend around. Uh, so that's all the way out front now. Uh, so you got all those issues which add to the thing. Mm -hmm. The Tea Party people, uh, that kind of stuff. Are all, there wasn't anybody like that when I was there. So, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you feel like it's more polarizing today? Oh yeah, much more. It was more. more middle of the road when you were there. Oh yeah, much more middle of the road in terms of. I mean, the, you would have urban Democrats and rural Republicans, but their idea about most things were pretty close the same, mm -hmm. except how you dealt with labor issues and some mm -hmm. of that. And mm -hmm. yeah, we we didn't really we I really didn't know anybody when I grew up that was divorced. I didn't know anybody that grew up when I grew up that was divorced. So just sort of social changes. And no, a few once in a while out of wedlock kid, but. Uh, that, was, that was a no-no too. And uh, well, so you you've said a lot about change. What, if any, enduring qualities do Hoosiers have or still hold dear? Well, I think in general, um, I would say the moderate Republicans uh, still hold family life. Uh, I don't know how they think now, but I, I think. They, you know, you, you pick your life's mate, you stay with the rest of your life, you raise your kids, you uh, live within your means. Because we, we, we grew up without any money when we were a kid. I think Dad uh, took $10 a week on cash uh, for, for five kids and a, and a living girl. Uh, I mean, money just wasn't existing then. And, uh, we both grew up in that kind of circumstance, so, uh, so I, I think, I mean, the, yeah, I was just shocked at kids with a $1,000 telephone, you know, I've got one myself, yeah. Well, I think that's really the, the last of my questions. Is there any sort of final well, thoughts? Or see, anything? I, I'm, I'm still some the old That That's still, that is modern technology, yeah. and I think that's a flip-flip. Oh, that's flip only to save if I get stuck somewhere. Yeah, yeah, but it, is, it does make you feel safe when you have yeah. one with you when you're traveling, so. 
Well, I think that that's all. I feel like we've covered a lot of material yeah. here today, and I really... Now you got to do it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the question, isn't it? Yes. I'll just state for the record, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me, and is there any final parting no. messages? No. It's been a pleasant experience. Yeah, I've enjoyed it, so thank you very much.